Hello and welcome. This is your host, Jonathan Morgan, and you're listening to Design Everywhere, the podcast that invites you to ask what if and challenges you to understand the why that drives design. So my conversation today is with Oliver Barrett, a illustrator, designer, and artist based in Austin, Texas. I wanted to give a quick note about this episode. Um, I don't think I give it proper context later in the in the discussion, but I've known Oliver for quite a while, and we played in a band together for about 10 years. So we make a little bit of a reference to that that I don't think we quite dig into enough that uh, everyone's going to be able to follow along. So this is also going to be a two-part episode where the second episode is going to focus more in on his process of creating the art that he does and, and the designs that he does. So definitely come back and check that out. But with that, I am going to shut up and get on with the discussion. Today, my guest is Oliver Barrett. Oliver is an artist and designer, recent transplant from Cleveland to Austin, Texas. Oliver has a truly unique style as a visual artist. hes uh, It's kind of impossible to describe without seeing, at least impossible for me to describe. So I would suggest checking out his stuff and maybe take a look at it and uh, use as a backdrop for this conversation. But his style and his masterful execution of what he does, it's landed him an impressive client base, kind of going through the short list, entertainment studios like 20th Century Fox, Academy Awards, Disney, Paramount, Lucasfilm, Warner Brothers, DC Comics, Marvel Studios, media outlets and publications like ESPN, The Atlantic, Wired, and Vice, and iconic brands like Adobe, Amazon, Apple, and Nike. To start out, kind of talking about this evolution, I mean, you really found your your style and skill as an artist. Is where you are today, was this a goal of yours? You know, you're, right now you're out on your own. You went through kind of the agency marketing company, you know, doing websites and apps and, and ads and things like that. But then I think you kind of found your, your place. But is this where you were always going towards? I think subconsciously the answer is yes, but I don't recall having like a real plan or roadmap or goal list until maybe about a decade ago. Because when I was working at um, Go Media, I worked there for five years, like straight out of college. In the last couple of years, they were doing this thing every January where we would set goals for the year, but we would also set like five personal goals and then goals for like five years from now. And that's something I still do every year. Like it's stuck. And I remember at the time, it might have been like 2010 or something like that. That's when I first sort of discovered like pop culture as like a career path, just making things that are related to it. Not that I jumped right into it as a career, but it was sort of like one of those things where I was doing it in my free time and it gained enough traction where I started to realize, oh, I could really turn this into something if I really like went after it. And there was all sorts of like stumbling blocks along the way, but eventually it became a goal to turn that into like a revenue stream and use it as like an opportunity to progress as an artist because it's hard to come up with stuff to draw sometimes so it's like i'll just draw this thing that i like oh other people liked that i drew that thing i'm gonna draw this other thing that i like i kind of just went from there but to answer the question i think yeah i'd say so i i had uh (laughs) it was back in 2014 i had made a list of things that i wanted to accomplish and i saw that list 
I had pinned it in my Apple, whatever like the Apple Mail app is, and it was still there when I was transferring to something else, and I saw it, and I forgot that I even did it. But every single one of those goals that I listed, I I achieved them all. And it was like the craziest feeling because some of it just seemed so outlandish at the time. It was like, have artwork in San Francisco, like go to Austin for this thing, eventually do some work with Mondo, and that was like, like a bucket list client that I thought I would never work for. And then beyond that, like working for Apple and Nike and all these other like huge companies on top of that was just something that I didn't even have written down. It was like, I'll never get that. And not that I never thought I would, it just never entered my head. So that was on there. And then it was live in a different city. I mean, we're doing that now, even though there's not a whole lot to do at at the (laughs) moment, but that was something that happened, put out another record. We did that, all sorts of stuff. And it was like, wow, I've actually did all those things and maybe it's because I wrote them down and it was just in my brain and it just happened. From this end, hearing that, writing it down is the first step, but what you just talked about, it was very specific. Yeah. Like you wrote down goals that had specific, you know, it wasn't just get my work into another city. It was get my work into San Francisco. Do you think that played a role in, in kind of getting you motivated? What do you do with the goals once you write them down? I mentioned San Francisco because there was a gallery there that I had stumbled upon, which is why I use that word. And it sort of set up the whole career trajectory where I had done, well, first of all, we'll just set the whole thing up. It started with LeBron leaving in 2010 and then me making that really pissed off butthurt print where half of his face is a skull and it says that nasty thing about him at the bottom. It says the king (laughs) is dead. I was really upset about it, but I upset enough to like turn it into something rather than just like being like your average Cleveland guy and setting the jersey on fire. But I made that into a print and then I had sent it to this poster blog that I had been reading and he put it up and I sold, I don't know, I printed maybe 50 of them. I sold like 30 of them, which at the time was like a huge deal to me because that's, I didn't know anybody was going to buy this thing, let alone like it get posted there. And I thought, okay, I started seeing some of like the pop culture related like movie poster or screen printed sort of thing going on. I'm like, okay, I want to do that. How do I do that? And I had emailed that company, which now I'm friends with them. It's part of the reason I moved down here, but they didn't reply. Like I was a you know small fry and they probably had a whole lot of other things going on. It's just, I didn't take it personally. It was like, okay, whatever. So then I started looking on different art message boards and I saw this gallery in San Francisco was doing a show that was centered around like Quentin Tarantino movies. And I did the the Jules character from Pulp Fiction doing the what does Marcellus look, look like thing. And I turned that into a print. And it was one of those things where I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen here. The guy just sort of said yes, because I mean, why not? It's more stuff for him to put up on the wall and maybe make 50% on. And I did it and it worked out really well. So I was like, okay, that'd be cool if I actually went there. And I had work on the walls. And that's where that goal came from, why it was San Francisco. But because I did that, it set me up for doing more work with them and then getting invited to New York Comic Con that like the next year and meeting people there and then meeting people doing other things. And it sort of just built itself up over time. It's funny that you, you bring that up too, because we're right in the middle of San Diego Comic Con, correct? Mm-hmm. And like what you said earlier, like the stream client being Mondo, Wanting to get in there now, like fast forward to today, you, you know, I just saw one of your, your prints is featured through Mondo for San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, that comes out on Friday. I try not to lose sight of these things whenever it happens. 
So it still very much feels like I haven't arrived and I'm very grateful for like everything that happens. And it just still feels very much like it's not me, like it's surreal, like it's some other Oliver Barrett, some other guy that got to do that. And I was like, oh, no, I did that. Like, I really need to take a step back and think about it like that. We're talking about a, a Dark Knight print that is coming uh, coming out on Friday. And I had originally pitched that to the folks over at Mondo like two years ago. Like, hey, the, you know, it's a 10 year anniversary of this movie. And there wasn't anything coming out for it at the time. So they were like, yeah, sure. I had this really goofy idea where I was going to take the Joker from the end of the movie. And there's all sorts of like terrible Joker artwork out there and bad memes. And it was like, do I really want to do this? And I thought back to 10 years ago when I was working at Go Media and that movie was coming out. And I was like, this would be like the coolest thing on earth to do something for this. And then I created the opportunity to do something for it. I mean, 10 years later down the road. But still, it was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I don't really care like what so-and-so on Twitter thinks of this movie. I'm still a fan. I'm going to do it. And it took two years to get it approved for various reasons. And now we're talking about a print that I did at Comic-Con that is pretty well-received already, and it's not even out yet. It's pretty nuts. And I would have been there if they actually had it this year. Next year. Next year. Yeah. How much of your, your work now, I mean, you're, you're doing a lot with seems like you're doing a lot with Mondo. You're doing a lot of the poster art type stuff. Are you also still kind of mixing that with some of the, you know, client, corporate client type work? No, it all sort of just phased itself out because for as long as I can remember, I've always been like a reactive sort of person. Like someone comes to me, I go, okay, I can do that. And I've never really been a proactive person too much, but I was able to build my freelance career by being slightly proactive and going on these sort of more straightforward design sites where they would have like someone needs X project and they would connect with a designer. And a lot of times I would be like, okay, this is, I'm going to do this logo for this person that I don't know that needs this thing. And I had been doing it on again, off again for a long time. And then I remember maybe 2013 or 2014, I had tried to do that on some other site and the guy was really upset with the job that I did. And I was really like, you know, offended that he was so negative with what I had done. And then I really thought about it. And I was like, you know what, I totally deserve that because I had realized that I was phoning it in at that point. It was, I'm just trying to get this done as quickly as I can so I can get paid. And I don't care about this like at all. Like it, and before it was, you know, I really like doing things creatively. Like I'll do a logo for anybody. I don't care as long as I get to like, you know, stretch my muscles on it and do my thing. It's cool. But this was a case where I was just doing it to do it. And it was a disservice to that client. And it was also a waste of my own time. And I realized like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. I had enough going on with the stuff that I wanted to do. And that's sort of been like a focus even till today where I have to think about like, okay, does this lead really fit with my values now? Or is it just, I'm attracted to the big budget or the big client name, but the actual work itself sucks, which has happened a lot. For as long as I've known you, you've been a hustler. Like, <laughs> you know, it's uh, any given time, you know, you contact Oliver and it's just like, oh, I got this deadline, you know, work until midnight tonight. No, things like that. Like you hustle, you've worked for what you've achieved. Can you paint a picture of like your typical day? Because the thing that always intrigues me, because I'm in a different type of design than you, mm -hmm. really. You know, I'm not the, the I, I'm not, uh, I'm I'm more on the strategic making 
making things that have to work well for people, things like that. That part of design. Mm-hmm. Um, function. Yeah, function. A lot of function. Um, and, and bringing that back to, you know, needs and things like that. Not saying, I think it's a totally parallel path in a way that you're taking is like, it's all about like, it's, you, you have to get people to connect with what you're creating. Yeah. That's difficult to turn on and off. It's difficult to put into eight hour days. You know, we do that for the most part, but what does a typical day look like for you? Because the kind of stuff you're doing is highly creative. It's highly personal. How do you get through that? I think it might be more entertaining to go through the different the ways the days have changed after I became a dad because it was way different <laughs> yeah. uh, like four years ago. And it actually became a problem recently, even as like recent as like two years. Like, cause you mentioned, like I've been saying like, Oh, I got this crazy deadline I'm up till midnight. Like I realized maybe about a year ago that I've been saying that for a long time. And that's actually like a pretty sucky way to live. Like it eventually will burn you out. And I got burnt out in a way that, I'm still recovering from in a way that I, I never expected to be. And it's all because of that like hustler mentality where it's like, I just got to get through this to get to the next thing, to get to the next thing. Well, there's always going to be a next thing. And the stress will always be there too, unless you take a break. And I had gotten into this habit where I wasn't taking breaks. I wasn't stopping. Even like I would make time for my family, but that was about, that was it. And uh, it was like that for about a year. And I was like, man, this is, like I'm not enjoying anything that I'm doing. And like the entire point of me like becoming a freelancer was to, you know, not hate what I do, but to love what I do, not be okay with it. Not just to be like, oh, this works, but like to really be into it. And I was, and then I had sort of lost sight of it just by the sheer amount of hours that I had created the habit of putting in. I had programmed myself into doing it. And I think it's all based on things being a lot more comfortable before I had a kid. And it comes from the amount of time that was available. So let's say it's like maybe 2016, like right when stuff started to pick up for me, the average day was me waking up at about nine, having a cup of coffee, screwing around on Twitter and Instagram, texting a bunch of people, maybe look on an eBay for transformers or something like that. And then I would start to draw like half of Robocop's face just for fun, just to get warmed up. And then I'd post that and it would people would go crazy on Instagram because it's something that people like. I mean, like the drawing's fine, but it also helps that people like the thing that I drew before I even drew it, which is derivative and like hard to accept in a certain way because it's not my intellectual property, but that's another podcast for another time. (laughs) But that's around like maybe like 11. And then I would actually start working on whatever project it was. And it was still when I was getting in with Mondo and doing that sort of thing. So there was like a level of pressure to it that was really intense, but that was all I had to do. Like my bills were still paid with other projects that I had, like some of that logo stuff that I was mentioning. So it was like, okay, I got that done yesterday. I'm, I got enough time here to really stretch out and try some good ideas. And like, I would spend maybe like four or five hours doing sketches and concepts and then call it a day at like six o'clock. And like, I'd go to band practice and hang out with you guys and then come back and have dinner and like play video games till like midnight and wake up and do it again and finish the poster. And that was it. And it was really great. And then some of the bigger name clients started coming after that. And it was like, okay, I'm not going to say no to that. But I also have these other things that I said yes to, and I'm not going to say no and back out. So I'll just stay up. And that, like, I took time away from like the games and stuff and I would stay up and get it done. And then I started taking time away from hanging out with my friends and going to band practice. And then I would try to like fight it back in there. 
and I did pretty well with it. And then when I found out I was going to be a dad, it was like, oh God, I got to say yes to everything. <laughs> and then all the time for me and all the time for the other things started to just sink off and I'm still fighting to get it back now. But it was like an average day for me now is I'm trying to get into scheduling because I was very much like a fly by the seat of my pants, like do whatever every day didn't really matter. And then now my time really matters. So I have to be smart about it. But now I'm waking up and somewhere around like the eight o'clock hour, thankfully, meditating for a little bit, have some breakfast and then hang out with the family for a little bit. And then I'll start on whatever the project is. I try to get a good couple of hours in and then I'll take a break for a little while and try to do it in sprints. It doesn't always work out because I'm trying to manage my time and be like, okay, I only got like I got 90 minutes here and I got to the point where I like this sketch, but do I spend the next 10 minutes on the actual drawing or do I just take a break earlier? And then it's like, okay, did I make the right decision there? How's that going to work out for the rest of the day? So the days are a little bit more hectic and stressful now, but it's really more about trying to find that balance between working enough to feel satisfied and get the projects done on time and not miss any deadlines, but not burn myself out and feel like a human doing and not a human being. That's a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no that, that's awesome. I mean, like I said at the, the intro of this, I mean, you, you've evolved a ton in a relatively short period of time. It's interesting to me because, you know, I don't know how your day goes when I'm not around you, you know, so it's, right. it's really interesting to, to hear how that's kind of evolved. Has your perspective changed significantly since you had your, your kid as far as work goes? Yeah, I, I think it really put an emphasis on making sure that what I'm doing with my time aligns with my values. But I didn't really know what those values were now as a human in 2020 or 2019 until probably about a year ago. And it was another case where I looked at the goals that I had set years and years and years ago and was like, oh, shit, like I got all of them. Now what? Now I'm a dad. How does this change? Well, I got to make money to pay for everything. And you know, I got a mortgage, car payment, kid, all this sort of stuff. I do pretty well drawing all day. Now it's about finding what do I want to draw all day and how much drawing can I do in a day. And recently, I took on a project right before we moved in October. And something else came in, like there was an Apple project that came in right after I said yes to this. And the project that I'm talking about is a book based on a YouTube series where a bunch of nerdy voice actors play Dungeons and Dragons. It's called Critical Role. And the book is about like the history of the show. They've done like years of the show, like a couple of seasons. There's all sorts of characters that they made. So I'm like drawing, like it's a book that has like a hundred illustrations in it. It sounds great. The budget's fine. I was excited about it, but it wasn't really going to get going until like January. And then this Apple thing came in and I was like, well, yeah, like I'm going to do this project for Apple, of course. But it was a campaign for the iPad Pro and the, and the Pencil and they and it was also tied into promoting the shows that they were coming out with Apple TV. And they assigned me the morning show, which has Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston, which I guess is like the biggest show on the thing, which I was super flattered and, and grateful to have that. But at the same time, what I'm drawing is two white women having a conversation in like a giant New York City skyline. And that's cool and everything, but I'm mostly drawing... Like what, what, in terms of what I want to draw, that's not it at all. And I didn't realize that until deep into the project where I was taking feedback, being like, it doesn't look like her. It doesn't look like her. And I'm like, it does, but 
it looks like how she looks. Like I'm, I'm not going to make it, make her look 18. That's, I can't. And they're also two very hard to draw people. Like it was really <laughs> tough, but I would never do that in my own time. And then I realized, oh, it's because this doesn't align with what I want to do. Like I got distracted by the shiny object. And I'm again, grateful to, to have had the project. It paid great. They sent me to London to talk about it. It's, I feel dumb complaining about it, but it's not really a complaint. It's more just, it's true. Like I'm talking about drawing like orcs and stuff like that, or like LeBron James or something like that. And probably not the best fit on this. I probably would have been better off for one of the other shows, but that also goes to add on top of like the, the stress of things, because I said yes to both of those projects, knowing that it was already too much. And I had gotten myself into some hot water because that project stretched across the move. I'm talking about the book now. It stretched across the move to Austin and then all the traveling for the Apple thing. And then some other stuff came in after that. And I thought there was like a review period for the book where I was going to have time to take these things on. And they were like, no, we're going to need to go to print in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh God, like I said yes to two other things in the middle of this. So from probably about Easter until maybe about a month ago, I was pulling like 14-hour days every day. And it was it was like a prison that I had built myself. Like that, <laughs> whatever that terrible Creed song is. Um, <laughs> all, all of them? Yeah, but you know, this one about, should have been dead on a Sunday. That one. <laughs> I created my own prison. But it was just from, you know, deadlines that I had not really been honest with myself about and... I'd gotten myself into this situation where I wasn't paying any attention to like how, like my own well-being. It was more about, okay, we can pay for this and we can pay for this and we can pay for this with the money from these projects and it'll help me out, help my career out in X and Y way, but, but it puts me as a human in like a terrible position. So I guess that's where things went askew is like when I found out that I was going to be a dad, I sort of programmed myself into just taking on anything that would help. Like anything that like, like seemed like it would be helpful in some way, but at my own personal cost. And that it became too much to take within like the last like four or five months. So one thing, if it's any consolation, it sounds like Apple looked at the shiny object too. So they may not have thought about, is this the right fit based on your background? Because you said, you know, maybe this project wasn't the best fit for me. Mm -hmm. Same thing. So the consolation prize is that Apple reached out to you because you're doing work that is really interesting and brings a new perspective to some of the stuff that they're doing. So I think that uh, you, you should definitely take that as a compliment. But at the same time, you know, they saw you as like, this is something really great. We want a piece of this, even though it may not have been the best fit for what they wanted to and I think they're probably happy. I mean, I, if you're going to invest your time and pick me for something, even if I realize later that maybe the subject itself isn't something that I'm interested in, I'm still going to give you everything I got. Because if you're going to, you know, believe in me enough to get invested like that, then I'm going to deliver. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to deliver the best product I can. And then if it comes to pass, like along the way, it's not something that I would, you know, hang on the wall myself. Like, eh, maybe there's a couple things I could have done better, but, you know, I'm still in. I'm going to give you everything I got. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we were going to break it up into two parts. And I think this is a good spot to make that break because part two, we're going to focus in on Oliver's design process 
and go through a couple case studies, including a poster he just released at San Diego Comic-Con. Actually, it was released the day after we recorded this episode, and that poster sold out in less than a minute. So definitely come back and check out that conversation. I want to thank you for listening to Design Everywhere. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. We have a lot more episodes in the works. And if you can give us a rating and review, uh, we'd love to hear what you think. You can also follow us on Twitter. Just search for Design Everywhere podcast. That's at design underscore every. And you can follow me, Jonathan Morgan, at Promo Rock. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman. I'm your host, Jonathan Morgan, and this is Design Everywhere. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah. right? And yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.